in many movies or television shows, there comes an iconic scene. You, you've seen it hundreds of times, if not thousands of times. It's a highly charged scene, a scene of decision. The ruler, the decider, whether it's a police captain or a king or general, whatever he's going to, or she, she's going to make the call. And you have all of these decision people around trying to push them one way or the other. And some of the rulers are, are good and some of them are evil. And I added the she because there can be evil women. I've seen 101 Dalmatians. So there can be the bad ones. There can be the bad ones as well. It, it all hinges on this. They listen, they listen, and then whoever the decider is decides the wrong course and it goes tragically. And they will not be swayed. When they see it going tragically, they don't stop it. They keep doing it because they have made up their mind and they are the one who decides. Rather like the, the British generals whose only idea was to send the men over the top into the killing fields of Ypres and, and Flanders Field. Or Gallipoli and uh, the, the constant misuse of humans without learning a lesson from it. We see this in our TV shows, but we see it in life as well. To be fair, I have no idea how this plays out in real life, what percentage make the hard, necessary decision, and how many make a very foolish and dangerous one. Nevertheless, that's the place we find ourselves in Ecclesiastes 4.13. Better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. That kind of burns, doesn't it? Better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. The passages we're going to look at today in Ecclesiastes are all about who do you listen to, who should you listen to, and who do you value, and why do you value them? Why do you listen to this person? Even to this day in Britain, the classes are so regimented that the classes only marry within the classes. Evidently not having any genetics classes, they marry within the classes with all of the attendant issues there, there, thereupon. Um, and it's, it's, it's sad. But you will see things such as there is, there's a man who was an immigrant to Breton back about the time I was born. Since he's been there, he's got citizenship, he's, he lives in a castle, he's a, he's a multi-billionaire, and has poured money into Breton. Poured, made jobs, poured money there, helped the poor, built hospitals, and the queen was going to, to give him an award, but the other said, he's, he's not a gentleman. In other words, he doesn't have the right bloodline. How sad is that? And yet we keep doing it. So here's the question the teacher in Ecclesiastes has for each of us. Are you teachable? Are you reachable? If you're not teachable and you are not reachable, you are a problem. And that's an issue that we have to face. If, you're, if you only read what agrees with you and listen to what agrees with you, or some people get away with that by saying, well, I read the other stuff. No, don't read it to critique it. Uh, do you really listen to the other? How many things have you changed your mind about in the last whatever? Just pick a time period. Well, how many times have you, have you changed? And not something small, something major. I remember when I drove to Tennessee and I saw those beautiful white trees. I thought, those are beautiful. I hate Bradford pears now. 
They're direct from Satan. And, and, and by the way, this is allergy season, so if you start coughing and alike, it doesn't mean you've got the plague. You might, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. Just remember to remember, we don't panic. We learn, go see your doctor, get, you know, go talk to somebody who knows what they're doing. That's very important. But how many times have you changed your mind about bigger things? Politics, theology, worship, uh, marriage and family, how you treat each other. Have you made major changes? If you never have, it makes me wonder, are you teachable? Are you reachable? I've changed on about everything. And it's not because, you know, I'm, I'm blown about by the wind, but it's because when you get new information, it's supposed to impact what you do. It's supposed to change you at sometimes a cost. You don't have to change things just to change things. I've, I've worked with churches who thought, you know what we really need to do is get our praise team to stand. That'll bring them in. Or what we really need to do is throw a guitar and a drum set up there. They'll come, and I'm saying, you're 200 years behind the curve. You've driven the musicians out. I don't think that's going to pull them in because they can get that elsewhere. Now, changing, if you feel like that enhances your worship and it fits your group and this is who we are, wonderful. But don't change just to change. It's, um, why are you changing? How open are you to to examine a situation and learn how to take advice and to take warning, you have to live an aware, awake life. And that's one of our problems. We, we tend not to. We stare at wee screens or at bigger screens or we're just doing our thing. We're not aware. To listen to advice, you have to be reachable, teachable, and aware. You also have to... Um, you have to you have to be aware of one of the things you have to be aware of is that lies come at you constantly. They really do. We were at Olive Garden and they've got the disease spreading pay it here thing. You know, it's already been touched by a thousand of the unclean. They do that at Panera too. You walk in and it goes, all of our food is clean. And I'm going, but to get it, you have to handle a buzzer that has been handled by the great unwashed. <clears throat> I watched them cleaning the Olive Garden screens, and they used the same rag for all of them. I'm going, nope. <laughs> and they, they always come over to me because they see the gray, and they're going, do you know how to use one of these machines? <laughs> yep. Well, you can just pay here. Nope. Why not? Because I'm going to hand it to a stranger who I don't know where they've been. It, this is not consistent, all right? But it's still, that little thing is there, and it, it popped up with questions trying to get you to pay money so that you could do trivia games instead of talking to whoever you brought to Olive Garden. Fair enough. One popped up. It said, which are more similar to human brains, dogs or cats? And then it popped up, cats. It didn't tell you how they're more similar. It didn't say in what way, what the measuring stick was. And I was starting to get very upset. Then they brought more breadsticks. I was fine, but... The, <laughs> All of these things, and, and we, we just go, wow, cat brains are more like human brains. Would you do some research? That's all. Or uh, there's, there's this meme going about on Facebook. I think it's starting to slow down, but there was a science project where this kid touched different uh, slices of white bread after cleansing, cleansing their hand in different ways. 
washing, gel, wipes, nothing. And, and it was exactly what you would expect. And I'm looking at going, that's exactly what I would expect. Therefore, I'm suspicious. How did you dirty your hands between? How did you clean your hands between? In what way did you touch the bread? I know so many variables here. Just have a filter. Get a filter there. And don't buy into anybody just because they're that person. That's what he's going to talk to you about here very briefly. If you ever read or see or hear something and you think, that's exactly what I thought, watch out. Be careful. Watch. A very long time after this book was written, the Holy Spirit spoke through James, and he said this about wisdom, which I've always found fascinating and underread. We need to understand this. Who is wise and understanding among you? I was in a conference last week where the guy who was a scholar in religion told us he was a scholar in a religion at least 20 times each talk and did so in such a way that I'm going, this is, just tell us information. That, but we tend to think, well, that's a wise person. Now, let them show it by their good life. Show, not tell. By deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Knowledge is a circle. It's a metaphor. It's not really a circle. The larger, the more you know, the more you border on what you don't know. And the wisest among us are those who know what we know and know that we don't know all the other things. All right? Humility should come from wisdom. But if you harbor better envy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. You might think, who would do that? Have you watched the news? Such wisdom, I like the way we supply the, the air quotes here. They're, they didn't have quotes. And we just plug that in. Sounds right. Does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Paste that on your TV. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, okay, good, here's the real wisdom, is first of all pure, has no other motives, then peace-loving, huh, doesn't have a Twitter account, <laughs> considerate, submissive, when was the last time you thought of the wise person who's your leader as being submissive? But in the Bible, that's what it's got to be. Full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Have we gotten wisdom wrong? Have we gotten leadership wrong? I think we have. And I think we need to think about this. Take a look at, at J uh, James 3, 17. And just ask, is this the way we measure wisdom? Because the, the world has yardsticks for this, or meters for this. Um, is this the way we measure wisdom? When I work with churches that are struggling, this is what I do with their leadership. I set it down and say, is this how you're known? Is this the way you lead? When people read this, would your face come to mind? If you're a dictocrat or you're, you're just some sort of a, um, you know, I said it and I'm the guy, then you're not this. We need to see what kind of leadership you have. Now, with that said, we're going to come to a very difficult passage. We're just going to read it and then let me talk to you about it because it does not make a lot of sense. 
to non-Semitic ears, but it's important. Um, well, first of all, I'm sorry. Let's go back to Ecclesiastes 4.13. You were right. Remember this now and see how that would apply to the James passage? All right, let's, let's go forward. Thanks, guys, for keeping me up here. The youth may have come from prison to the kingship, or he may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before them, all your other choices, but those who came later were not pleased with the successor. These two, this too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What? what? Um, we could spend an hour here talking about the Semitic roots in a cultural context. If you allow me to do so, just let me cut to the end and, and to the chase and tell you what's going on. There is no particular blessing in being poor or in being rich or in being born poor or in being born rich. There is no particular curse in being poor or born poor or rich and born rich. Society tends to uh, label people as successful it's according to where they fit on a socioeconomic scale and by far, how far they traveled. You know, rags to riches stories were always quite popular, especially back in the 1800s and early 1900s. We'd like to create mythic tales to tell how our, our leaders are special. They were born into a hard situation, but they were wise. And, and you'll pick up people like George Washington, you know, and they'll say, cut down the cherry tree. No, he, he didn't, but, you know, it's, uh, the, the, why would you do that? Just to make him look better. Even as a child, he was called to lead Abraham Lincoln. You know, he walked so many miles back to hand a penny back that he'd overcharge somebody. I don't know if he did or not, but that doesn't mean he can lead a nation. You know, let's talk about those things. By the way, I don't think he did poorly. Don't get me wrong here. I, 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 I don't judge. Don't know. But what I do know is we, we make these stories. Or we'll say God picked them and they were born into power for such a time as this. And tales like that are told about Charlemagne. Now he withstood the Muslim horde that was coming into Europe. Char uh, Charlemagne was a bad guy. He was just bad. Or, we'll, we even do it now, people born into wealth and privilege so that they could be there and God could use them. Uh, I've, I've read those stories about FDR. I've read those stories about others. And Ecclesiastes is saying, let's not pay attention to where they were born or to whom, but how they live, the decisions they make. That's the only thing we do. And it's so hard. We live in a, a celebrity culture. And what's really amazing to me, I just got, I know I've said things like this before, it just drives me a wee bit nuts. And that's not, that's not a drive. It's kind of a putt. I get that. But Americans going, oh, Harry and Meghan have left the royalty. Why do you care? You, if I remember correctly, you had them. And then you sent them away by shooting. So now you're staying up all night saying, what is she wearing? Stop it. Um, Ecclesiastes says, just because the king has a son doesn't mean the son's going to be any good. Don't listen to them just where they, because of who, to whom they were born or where they were born. Humility. You look for a humble teacher. Be careful who you elevate. And be careful when others want to elevate you. Every so often, bit of a shock, I know, you know brace yourself. 
somebody will say something really nice about me and then they will take it to a, a, a character level. You are such a wonderful person. And I'm always going, watch out. You do not want to, you do not want to be raised to a level where you cannot survive the fall. I've fallen. I've learned. Let's keep me down here, shall we? With everybody else, because I am like everybody else. There's, that's not an act of humility, me acting like, well, I'll just be here with the common folk. I am a common folk. I suffer the same as you. I, I'm tempted the same as you. I want humility. I don't have it yet. It's one of those elusive things. I thought I'd nailed it for a while, but no. Um, don't run around with that big foam finger yelling, we're number one. We did that with our church. We said, we're the ones that got it right. I don't know what you did in your churches you were growing up in, but that's what we did. We're the only ones that got it right. Sorry about you. Time has been around for a long time. There's a balanced statement. Um, there have been a lot of things going on in the world. A lot of things we don't even know about. I decided just to give you some examples. We'll put up the first slide. We found a whole new civilization on islands windswept north of Scotland, the Orkney Islands. This is Broad Garness. You can follow the excavations online. They're often closed because of the howling gales that come through there. The, there, there are cities and avenues. There are complicated houses. Let's put the next one up. These all, and, and everywhere they dig, it just keeps getting bigger. Who were these people? We don't know. Where did they come from? We don't know. Why did they come and why did they leave? We don't know. But this is many times larger than Stonehenge and the, the other megalithic monuments that you might know, like Gobe Tekele, which is in the Middle East, which we found, which may be the oldest worship center ever found. It gets bigger. Look at the next one. Because they also went underground and they dug homes and they lived with, with there, are, there are shelves, there are bits of furniture and table. Next slide. And there are uh, tunnels from one to the other so that with bad weather or with enemies, they did not have to come above ground. Then the next, please. All the way down, and there are shelves and tunnels and ladders going. And these were in place in 3200 BC. Before Abraham was born, there was this huge civilization. We didn't know. And we can do that, and um, this is not a yay Scotland thing. You can do this anywhere, uh, almost anywhere. That was an exaggeration. Uh, in the Middle East, we keep finding them. We found things in Africa. We found things in South America. And it's almost mythic, but it just should be humbling to remind us we're part of the story, but we're not its author and we're not its point. We are just part of the story. And there's where our lesson on humility continues, Ecclesiastes 5. One through seven, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. By the way, by this time, they don't know because they don't listen. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven. You are on earth. So let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares, and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow 
than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin and do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. That's a bit of a shock, actually. I want to talk to you about vows, but I also want to do... God takes vows very, very seriously. But I also want to please remind you of grace. If you are a baptized believer, you know you can get forgiveness by going to God and repenting. If you are not a baptized believer, become a baptized believer because you need access to God for forgiveness of sin. And he's told us to believe in him and he told us to be baptized. And who are we to question what he told us to do? So we seek baptism. We work on our faith. We work on our belief. It is not something handed down from generation to generation, but it is something we work on from generation to generation. If you need God to forgive you, then get to God. There's an expression that they used to use. His mouth wrote a check that his body couldn't cash. And some of us know what that feels like and means like. And, but nobody under 40 writes checks anymore. So what it means is watch what you say. If you can't back it up, it's going to be, there's going to be some problems. And James speaks to this in some great detail, actually. In James chapter 3, we're going to read all, all of this passage. When we put bits in the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. That phrase is wow. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. He's not backing up. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame his tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grape tree bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce salt water. I can remember <clears throat> the situation is not important, but situation happened, a little scare, and a man beside me let out with some curse words, and he stopped. He turned to me, and he goes, I'm sorry, that just slipped out. Well, I'm not in any position to judge the man, and I wasn't going to judge him anyway, but there's a reality. Things cannot slip out unless they've slipped in. We have to be careful that we are not absorbed. I'm not, and here, I'm moving away from the words, because the words, to me, are a very minor thing. The attitudes of the world. And not just America. It's, it's everywhere, it seems. It used to be we could disagree with each other politically and understand this is a good person who has a different opinion. But our politicians and our media in particular are not only pushing different panics 
in the uh, microbial world, but they are also pushing this. Now if somebody disagrees with you, they are evil and must be silenced and must be destroyed in a uh, a cancel culture. After a while, you start eating your own. Don't play. Be no part of this. The tongue is dangerous because it reveals what has slipped inside. Now, I make my living speaking and writing, but mainly speaking. And God wrote a a warning label. I have the only job that has a warning label that God wrote. Let not many of you be teachers, for you will receive the greater condemnation. Why? Because if I lead you wrong, your souls may be lost, but I'm the guy that led you there. And people, if you've read Ezekiel, the watchman on the wall, God takes that pretty seriously. We have to be very careful what we say. Uh, I, I know that I've, I've repented over so much that I've said, and I'm not done repenting because I'm going to say some other stupid stuff unless I die. And that's almost too Christian. It's like safe. You know, whew, good. They can't mess it up anymore. To the world, that's terrifying, not to us. By the way, the Bible has a lot to say about speech. If you just read the book of Proverbs, read it a verse at a time. Proverbs is not thematically, it's just, it's Proverbs. So uh, there's no one theme for six chapters, one verse at a time. It has over a hundred rules about speech. When you should speak and when you should not, and when you should listen and when you should not. But it all boils down to the speaking part, four things. Don't talk too much. The more you talk, the more you can make problems. I have a little four-year-old. He and I are buddies, and we will, uh, that little boy owns me, head to bottom. But every now and then I look over and I wonder, does Oliver understand that there, there exists in the universe something called internal dialogue? Because it never stops. One day, maybe it will. Don't talk too much. Be careful what you say. Say only what you mean. Don't make a vow unless you're going to keep it. And remember that the words you say will be the measuring stick used against you on the day of judgment. Jesus didn't say that we are never to make judgments. He said, judge not that you be not judged. And then he explains what he means. He says, because the judgment you use against others will be used on you. So if I'm driving like I did yesterday between basketball games and football games, I have grands and I don't know which one of them is picking the nursing home, so I'm going to everything. Somebody pulled right out in front of me. I mean, I missed him maybe that much. And I'm proud to say I didn't, you know, yell, you idiot. My first thought was, I've done that too. And that, did, that took a lifetime for me to get there, by the way. To understand that if I call others idiot, then I am an idiot as well. If I call them stupid, I'm stupid as well. I've got to be very careful the way I measure. I'd better be measuring with as much grace as possible. Because that's what I want to come back. In fact, Jesus put it that way. If you want mercy, you have to give mercy. This is serious stuff. And by the way, the tongue would include what you type or what you thumb. It includes your speech, whether it's on social media writing or speaking and we all I'm in the I'm not talking to you we're all in this we need to remember how God takes seriously what we say um we'll we'll visit this bit more next week because he continues this thought so you read this study it and get ahead of us a wee bit there aren't spoiler alerts it's all right to read ahead 
But a final word here to show you how serious God takes vows comes to us from, from Judges. In Judges chapter 9, there's the story of the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites evidently owned a map, and they could see as Israel, the tribe of Israel, were tribes of Israel were coming up, they were taking over each city as they came, and it was not going well for any army that went against them. And they said, we got to get ahead of this, and we got to make sure they don't hurt us because we're in a line. So they had this thing. They put on old dusty clothes. They put dust in their hair. They had old moldy food and dried, uh, dried up uh, water skins. They, had, they, they brought around their your camels and such that hadn't been shod. Their feet were in bad shape and the like. And they, they, they waited. And then they came around as the Israelites are coming up. And they said, oh, there you are. We have been looking for you. We've come from a long journey. We've come from so far away. It's just over there. So far away. You'll, pr- you'll never get there. It's too far away. You'll never, get, you'll never even hear of it. But we just thought, just in case, might be good, come to you and say, if ever you got to where we live, which you won't because it's way far, that uh, would you just not kill us? The Israelites looked at each other and went, All right, what are the odds we'll ever get there? They said, we won't kill you. Now let's review. It was a vow made based on a lie. It was made against the command of God because he said, do not make an agreement with the people you meet. And God held them to the vow. A hundred years later, an Israelite killed a Gibeonite in a fight and King David had him killed because they had an agreement. God takes our vows very, very highly. This is a vow. This communion table, it's a vow. The way we pray, what we sang, these are vows. He expects us to live like this and to speak like this and not to elevate anybody because of the situation in which they were born. Or did you notice, don't demote them. He said a youth can be from prison and be the person you need to be following. So you don't demote them because of what they've done in the past either. You listen, you find wisdom. Mark, would you bring your people up? We are the people of the vow. We are the covenant people. That is so desperately important that we remember it. Would you stand with me, please? And again, I'd like to remind you that the starting point class uh, is, for, if you're interested in learning more about us and, and becoming a member here, it is completely pressure-free. It's a lot of fun, and Gary does it during class time. My class time will be in here in just a few minutes. Also, just very quickly, the ladies who organized and did all the work for the F table were fantastic. Thank you. You did a wonderful job. Uh, if you know what an F table is, go talk to Gary. In the meantime, we are a people of the vow, and the vow covers us not only making us come to the bread and the cup, but also the way we speak, the way we think about others, the way we think about life. To where we do not elevate, we do not demote, we listen, we become aware, we are reachable, we are the teachable people of God. Live your life with your eyes wide open and your heart ready to hear.